All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What <laughs> Steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air, let's go. Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code HockeySeason, capital H, capital S, all one word, 
hockey season. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. Go check them out. The best part about Zephyr Epic, in our humble opinion, is that they ship free anywhere in Canada on any order over $50. From? From Richmond to Roachville. Roachville, New Brunswick, Quads. How do you think about that one? Tell me about Roachville. Were you in Roachville when you were just in Atlantic Canada? I was. I was in Roachville. I did the whole tour of Roachville. I had to because just the name of it is so great. Uh, very much a, a big farm city. Not much going on in Roachville. They do have some uh, some cows that I posed in front of. I think their names were like uh, Charlie and Betsy or something like that. And I, uh, I posed in front of these big, huge cows that were like uh, probably 15 feet tall. Big old cows uh, that they had there. Big farming city down there in Roachville. Uh, Roachville, New Brunswick. I don't have a population on them because I was just there. And I, if I had to guess, I don't know, maybe 700 to 1,000. Okay. So, obviously, posing with the cows was the best part of your trip to New Brunswick. We will get into that in a second here. But Zephyr Epic, go check them out. Z-E-P-H-Y-R. Epic, all platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, you name it. They've got it. You should go follow them. Remember to use promo code Hockey Season. Capital H, capital S, all one word. $5 off your order at Zephyr Epic. We're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm joined, as always, by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. We're doing a little remote episode, Chris. This gives me flashbacks to the pandemic when... We couldn't be in the same room and we were recording away from each other. I'm. This is really vintage class convo because I'm actually recording this on my bed. I was joking with you before we started here that I'm one step away from being an ASMR Twitch streamer because I'm just literally laying on my bed talking into the mic. Like I've got them holding the mic right up to my mouth. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, we turned the video on for this as well, and I don't know if I want to keep the video on that much. Your, your shorts are sagging up your leg a little bit there, Quad, showing a lot of skin on this uh, FaceTime video that we're doing to uh, communicate with through this. But yeah, uh, definitely giving uh, shades of the pandemic back here. Even though the funny thing is, I guess, like since I'm traveling, I'm in Montreal right now, uh, down in my first hotel room. I'm going to be switching hotels closer to the draft uh, so I can get that closer to the draft uh, for my next hotel. But uh, I've landed in Montreal at the end of my big uh, East Coast swing, gone through New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, now I'm in Quebec. I even landed in uh, Ontario for a little bit. Spent some time at uh, Pearson Airport. That wasn't great, but uh, we're all good now. I'm all landed in Montreal, all set up, ready to go hit the streets right after we finish this podcast and uh, see what it's like. Because I remember like the 2019 draft and Vancouver was you know taken over, especially everywhere around the arena was taken over by the NHL draft. There was banners everywhere. Pretty much everything was all about the 2019 entry draft. I'm curious to see what Montreal looks like. I'll definitely be documenting it uh, a ton. You can probably check that out on the Instagram account for uh, Canucks Army, which is CanucksArmy.com on Instagram. Uh, and I'll be tweeting out a bunch of it as well. But yeah, I'm in Montreal. We're doing this remote. Uh, and we got a lot to talk about, man, because we were both on vacation for the last, uh, I don't know, 10 days or so, about last week. Yeah. 
and Mike Gould. Shout out Mike Gould for holding down the fort at Canucks Army. All the contributors at Canucks Army were phenomenal while you and I were away. Noah Strang stepped up big. Everybody, uh, Michael, big, big shout out to everybody uh, at Canucks Army because everybody stepped up huge uh, in our absence. Now, we were away. We both had pretty good trips. I'd say yours was probably a little more memorable than mine. I, I had a lot of fun, but you, you've got some big news, do you not? Well, mine might be more memorable because of how many uh, drinks you were having on the boat uh, oh, for your vacation. That's true. That's true. I didn't even take that into consideration. Yeah, no, that's what I thought you were getting at there. I saw the pictures on the boat and the videos on the boat and the uh, the squinted eyes for a lot of the pictures there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I had an awesome trip, man. I went in the first time I've ever visited the East Coast. And this is the real East Coast, by the way, Quads. Toronto is not the East Coast. I got yelled at by people in New Brunswick and PEI about that. Uh, but, yeah, I got to explore the Maritimes a little bit. I had a bunch of lobster, which was excellent. I think every day I had lobster, and it, it let me down a little bit because I was like, oh, it's going to be cheap, right? It's going to be dirt cheap in the Maritimes getting lobster. It's still very expensive to eat lobster every day. So uh, I had to limit myself to, like, one lobster meal a day. But I had everything, man. I had uh, – the only thing I didn't have was lobster poutine. Like, I'm having that here in Montreal. I've already had one poutine here in Montreal. I got it late last night on DoorDash when I got in at, like – 1230 and I just ordered the only place that had poutine and it was already by far the best poutine I've ever had in my life here in Montreal uh, but yeah I, I going through the Maritimes a lot of fun stuff my um, my no longer girlfriend now fiance and I we went and explored her hometown that was a lot of fun and yeah at, uh, at her favorite place in the world which is a place called Fundy National Park uh, that's where she she worked for the park for like six years and she had some of the best times of her life in her young 20s and I proposed to her on Canada Day with fireworks going on in the background. It was pretty uh, pretty perfect. I can't remember exactly what I said for the proposal, but apparently it went well. Uh, and she said yes. So uh, now she's back in Vancouver uh, with a ring, and I'm here in Montreal ready to, uh, to cover the NHL draft. Okay, so walk me through this, because obviously I knew about this for a while, and one dilemma you and I ran into, and one that I basically by the end of it had just said, yeah, man, sorry, this does sound like a you problem, was getting the ring through <laughs> security. Like, I suggested some, you know, some prison methods, and we didn't go for those because we thought the scanner would find it anyway, but, like, w what exactly did you do? Because how did you get this ring through security? Because we were having these conversations, and by the end of it, we were just like, all right, I guess we're going to have to walk through security with the ring. Man, so I was a little worried because the box was so big. Like, the box for the ring was was really big. It wasn't, like, small like I was expecting it to be. It, it was a huge box. So I was really worried about that. So I wrapped that in, like, a bunch of, like, pairs of socks and just, like, put them into a big clump, put them at the bottom of my, uh, my bag that I was traveling with. And then for the ring itself, I kept it in my carry-on, my backpack, like, the whole time. And the thing that I did is I – you gave me that little microphone and people recognize that from the videos that we do. So I kept that in a bag and then put that into like a little suede bag almost and then just kept the ring in there the whole time. And <laughs> I felt kind of bad because like the whole trip, I was very worried about where my backpack was the whole time. And that was like, I thought I might give that away to, to my now fiance that 
uh, that like I was super worried about my backpack, but I was like, oh, but like my laptop's in there. So I'm really worried about my laptop. I just need my laptop for Montreal. Like it doesn't matter about any of the other bags. I just need my laptop. But the real reason I was so worried about my backpack is because the ring was in there the whole time. But it was like in a bag inside of another bag inside of the bag that holds the mic and all that cords and stuff like that inside of my backpack. So it was very like deeply hidden and they didn't make me pull it out of the, uh, uh, like during the, the actual scans going through security. So we were all good that way. Uh, but it was a little, it was a little like, I was wondering if I was going to get caught from how often I was like worried about my backpack the whole trip. Uh, but no, everything went off well. And then it was a little bit of a scramble, like to going into the proposal. I was I was outside, just like uh, there was only one other guy there, uh, like when we were actually staying at the Airbnb at the national park, and we were just sitting there at the fire. And then the fireworks were supposed to start at ten o'clock for Canada Day, and I was like, me and this guy are just like talking about the Blue Jays or whatever, and it's like nine fifty-five, and then I was like. I was like, sorry, dude. Like, and I know I've met this guy like three times. So I've never like, this isn't like a great, like close friend of mine. It's a very close friend of hers. Um, and then I was just like, sorry, dude. But like, we got to get these girls outside for the fireworks. And then I told him, I was like, I'm like, I'm about to propose. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, uh, what? <laughs> like, and then like, it was a mad scramble. We like got all the girls outside really quick. And then I didn't know how long the fireworks were going to go. Right. Like I didn't want to do it right at the start of the fireworks. And I'm thinking, I was like, okay, we're in, like, a national park. It's not a lot of people here. It can't be that big of, like, fireworks. Probably going to be, like, ten minutes long. So, like, five, six minutes into the fireworks, I propose. I, like, get down on a knee, whatever, do the thing. And then, like, the fireworks continue to go on for, like, 20 more minutes. And obviously, she said yes at this point, is wearing the ring. Uh, We couldn't get, like, a good picture of me actually proposing. She couldn't even see the ring. So, like, another, like, yeah, like, 20 minutes go by, and then we're like, um... Yeah, like, let's go inside and, like, look at the ring or something, right? Like, we don't really care about these fireworks that much. And they went on forever, man. Like, uh, and then eventually, yeah. So we went inside and and she got to see the ring there. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty awesome experience, man. And my, you know, one of probably the best moment of my life was, was when she said yes. And, uh, now I'm engaged. So it's, uh, it was an awesome trip out east for sure. That's awesome, man. You know, people, the questions are flooding in of uh, where am I going to sleep now and what, what's going to happen to uh, you and our, me and your relationship. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about that off air. We'll, uh, that'll, that'll be Patreon content. But no, congrats to you and Nikki both. That's, uh, that's fantastic. I'm happy for you, bud. Yeah. You got to tell us a little bit about yours because I know, I know you didn't uh, propose on your trip, but you had, a, you had a very good vacation. I could see the sun on your face uh, still. Uh, I don't know. You didn't get very sun. Well, you're a little sunburnt. I can see in the video here, but not that bad. You were out on the boat basically every day. It looked like. Yeah, well, I was on the boat every day. You're right. And no, I didn't propose, but I did hard launch my girlfriend on Instagram, uh, which as you know, Chris, that's a big step to take. Uh, some would argue bigger than proposing, but we'll, we'll, uh, wow. we'll leave that up to the people. Next poll question. Uh, no, I had a really good time. Um, it was with my girlfriend's family. Uh, just, wonderful time they're all really nice people uh did not judge me for getting drunk every day because all all of us basically were it was a lot of fun uh we had a really good time crushing claws no laws when you're on the claws you know that uh had a bunch of jaw drops which is good i'm not going to keep talking about the alcohol i drank i had a really good time uh just all in all like on the boat every day it was so hot and then you would just go on the boat and it was so much fun everybody was like doing water sports Oh, it was, it was such a good time. I, I genuinely like, I'll miss it, but I'm also really happy to be home and kind of as soon as I got home, 
we were plunged into the thick of it because while we were away, Chris, the Canucks got busy. And it was funny because the whole week, the whole trip, I was telling everybody, like, yeah, this is my first vacation in two years, and I'm really happy to be here, but if the Canucks trade GT Miller, I got to leave, basically, uh, is what I told them. <laughs> so, like, we were prepared. Um, and then when Besser got signed, I kind of – I was talking to my girlfriend's uncle, who's, like, a big Canucks fan, and he was like, oh, like, Besser signed. And we were kind of like – there was that that vibe of, okay, do you have to leave now? And it was like, no, I don't have to leave just because Brock signed. It's okay. But there was a lot of news, Chris. <laughs> I did like uh, there was times where like I'd be going on Instagram and I'd be checking the stories or whatever, and there'd be like back-to-back stories of people like wakeboarding behind a boat from you and Andre Kuzmenko doing it at the same time. So you guys were on like the very same wavelength. You and Kuzmenko over there, uh, your water looked a little bit cleaner than the stuff that he was uh, wakeboarding through, uh, but uh, or wake riding, I think it's called what they're doing. That's what uh, that's when you're just right behind the boat, I believe. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of funny. Like there would be back-to-back stories of like you and Kuzmenko on the boats, just like getting after it. So that was cool. Yeah, me and Kuzmenko, we get along well. Speaking of stinky water, can you please tell me about the Atlantic Ocean? Does it really smell worse than the Pacific? I mean, it's a little bit of a bit, but there were some times where there were some pretty stinky waters out there in the Atlantic Ocean. I'm just <laughs> going to say it. I'm just going to leave it at that. It was a bit going into it a little bit that the Pacific Ocean smells a lot better, but I don't know. Maybe they're like... Their, their water's a lot different than the, like, when I think of the Pacific Ocean, I think of, like, the ocean that I see on Vancouver Island, not the stuff that you see in, like, the Vancouver Bay. I think of, like, what I saw in Port Renfrew or even, like, Nanaimo, like, the water's a lot better than it is in the Vancouver area, but there was some time, the weirdest thing was the first time I saw the Atlantic Ocean, we're driving down this road and we're somewhere in Nova Scotia, I think, because we landed uh, in Halifax, I, I believe, and then we went down to the water to check it out. And there was fog everywhere, like, out on the ocean that you couldn't see further than, like, a kilometer away. And it was almost, like, out of a horror movie because there was a boat that was, like, halfway coming out of the fog. This huge, like, huge ship. And it was, like, halfway coming out of the fog and, like, halfway still in the fog. And I was like, damn, this is a creepy place. And that was, like, the first view of the Atlantic Ocean for me. So, uh, it, you know, it doesn't smell as bad as I've uh, made it out to be. But it doesn't smell better than the Pacific Ocean, I'll say that. Okay, good to know. We're approaching the 15-minute mark, so we've already lost some listeners. Uh, let's get into it, Chris, because the Vancouver Canucks did make some moves while we were away, and we got to talk about them right off the top. And, folks, this is the draft primer episode. Going to get into that in the final half hour. We're going to give you a full draft primer. Uh, we wanted to at least touch on the vacations we had because we were away. The listeners want to know what we were doing. Um, I wish I could tell you, but we had good trips nonetheless. Chris, Vancouver Canucks signed Noah Juleson, Will Lockwood to two-way, one-year contracts, Jack Rathbone at the same time, one-way, two years. Now, for those that don't know, one-way means that he'll just make the same dollar number in the AHL as he will in the NHL. I don't know how much that means that Rathbone's going to be in the NHL for sure, but the organization would certainly like to have him at the NHL level next year. This is something we've heard from Alvin and Rutherford that Jack Rathbone will be in the NHL next year. It's a bigger conversation for down the line, Chris, uh, of where Rathbone fits in this lineup for next season. But off the hop here, those contracts, your thoughts on them? Yeah, I think Noah Jolson's obviously a great signing for Abbotsford. The fans love him. He's the local guy. Um, if you're looking for a captain next year, 
I don't think you have to look much further than Noah Juleson. He seems like a great option to be the captain of that team. The only thing would be that, like, Juleson could play some NHL games next year. Like, I think that might be the only reason why you wouldn't make him captain uh, of the Abbotsford team. But it makes a lot of sense. He's from Abbotsford. He, you know, the fans love him. He brings a lot of physicality to games. But I also didn't think that Noah Juleson was, like, that bad in NHL games. So he might get an opportunity to be a guy who kind of fits in on that, like, you know, eight, nine, ten kind of spot. Like, he could be a right D that helps his team with some depth. Uh, and obviously love what he does out in Abbotsford. He's an excellent AHL defenseman. And his career has been so strange, it's just kind of nice for him to consistently play uh, and not be injured. He brings a lot out there. Uh, with Will Lockwood, uh, the two-way deal is a little interesting to me because I, like, I, I thought he might be more in the boat of getting a one-way deal or just making NHL money no matter where he is because the expectation from him, like, in his own right, has to be that he makes his team out of camp. Like, if he puts up a performance in a similar way to what he did at the previous training camp, Will Lockwood will be on the Vancouver Canucks roster next year. If he has another great showing like he just did last year, he needs to be on the Canucks roster on that fourth line. I thought he showed decent. Like, he he needs to put up a point uh, in the NHL. That's been the struggle. I think 15 games in now, he doesn't have a point in the NHL. That needs to change if he is going to be a consistent NHL player. But he's continued to improve. He's at that age now where I think like 24 years old. He's really got to you know, get it into gear here if he is going to be an NHL player. So I guess this one-year deal, two-way contract for him, it kind of sets him up for him to really be motivated, you know, to get that NHL money, be at the NHL level, um, and just make it happen this year. That's what he needs to do. And then as for Rathbone, two years on the one-way deal makes a lot of sense that they expect him to be a guy that, you know, has some certainty if he's not playing every night in the NHL, I think. Like, he can be a healthy scratch if he's not one of the best options. Especially on the left side that, man, like it's really going to be tough for Rathbone to ever be a top four defenseman if you're keeping OEL and Quinn Hughes as a left side defenseman on your team. And using Rathbone on a third pairing, like you hope that that brings a lot of offense, but your third pairing you'd like to have a lot of security defensively with. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how it plays out with Rathbone, but I like the deals for all three. I really like, I think out of all these deals, like I love two years for Rathbone. It's a good kind of proving point for him over the next two years that he's definitely a full-time NHLer by the end of this contract, and then you see how much money he's actually worth after that. But I really love the Noah Juleson signing. I know not a lot of people will talk about it out of these three players, but he's a guy who really can be a leader for that Abbotsford team, and he's a like he's a very good AHL defenseman. Uh, he's that kind of player that you, you can use on your top pairing if he's playing with maybe a Rathbone down the road or you know the next lefty prospect that you have. I'd like to see him play with Noah Juleson. That's why I was I was a little bit surprised that it was just a one-year deal for Juleson because I thought that, you know, he, he I think he had a good time out there in Abbotsford being in his hometown and getting a chance to play hockey and get an opportunity at the NHL level. I feel like the organization did him well uh, this past season. And I thought that maybe we'd see a little bit longer for Juleson. But overall, like all three of these deals, it's, you know, small paper money getting done here. And, uh, and you're at the point now where you just kind of need to see a little bit more from Rathbone and Lockwood to see what they can do uh, and become NHL players full-time or not. Is there an NHL future for Noah Juleson? Because I think it's a question that gets thrown around a lot. Again, we know the upside that was there when he was drafted. Obviously, he's fallen off quite a bit. Didn't necessarily look out of place in NHL games, but definitely looked like he wasn't an NHL defenseman. You described him as a very good AHL defenseman. A lot of people kind of think that's synonymous with being an okay NHL defenseman. Do you actually think there's an NHL future for Noah Juleson? I don't know about like a strong NHL future, but I do think that he's a player where 
you know, if two of your right defensemen go down and he's the guy that gets called into action for whether it be, you know, two weeks, four weeks, like, I don't think you're that worried. Um, and also just like he, he does have a lot of skill. And I think, you know, having an eye injury that, you know, made him lose parts of his vision at certain points and being able to kind of bounce back from that and just play consistent games. You hope that he can continue to grow. He's not like 30 years old either, right? Like he's still decently young in his mid twenties. So you hope that he can kind of figure it out to just be, be the guy who is for sure the first call up when you need a right shot defenseman. And I don't think you hate if you have to play Noah Juleson for, you know, 13 minutes a night for let's say upwards of, you know, the being kind of the high limit around 20 games. Like if you get, if you need to play Noah Juleson between like 10 to 20 games every year as a right D, it's not like ruining your team and sinking the ship if he's only playing, you know, third pairing minutes where he's on the ice for 13 minutes a night. So I, I don't know if there's a massive NHL future there, but I do think he'll play NHL games over the term of this, even this one year contract. That's interesting. I, I'm interested to see what happens with him. Okay, we'll move to the coaching side, Chris. Mike Yo. And Trent Call coming in as assistant coaches. Trent Call obviously getting promoted from head coaching duties of the Abbotsford Canucks to the Vancouver Canucks as an a, a assistant, excuse me. And Mike Yo uh, coming in as an assistant as well. That's Bruce Boudreaux's guy, Mike Yo. Uh, what do you think about these hires? And obviously Jeremy Colleton as well uh, is now the Abbotsford uh, head coach. Yeah, I find it really interesting that Trent Call got the promotion to the NHL. I think. Um... There's a lot of people that like what Trent Cole does with defensemen. Um, it, it is interesting because obviously people like to knock that his player development hasn't been great. So maybe there's a better spot for his mind, his hockey mind to be at the NHL level uh, and be an assistant coach there. I know that uh, Thomas Drantz, I believe, reported that he's going to be running the penalty kill uh, as well as the defenseman. Obviously, because you did, uh, I, I forgot if you mentioned it there, but Brad Shaw is leaving now to Philadelphia. He got a four-year deal with Philly, which is huge for him. Huge for an assistant coach to get that. Uh, but yeah, Trent Cole and Mike Yo, I think they're going to bring... Like, Mike Yo's done a lot of different things. I really enjoyed his interview on Halford and Bruff kind of talking about that, you know, he's run penalty kills, he's run power plays, he's head coached in the NHL. Like, this is a guy who's done a lot uh, at a pretty young age and, and probably learned quite a bit as a head coach. I like him kind of being the backup um, in just a general coaching role with Bruce Boudreaux. Like, he's a guy who can run practices on his own. He's a guy who can, you know, talk to players. Kind of, to me, like, this feels like, Mike Yo feels like a pretty good definition of an assistant coach in the NHL. That's kind of just how he feels to me. And I think he's said he's going to be doing a little bit of everything. You're obviously going to have Jason King still running the power play. Uh, and it sounds like it's going to be Trent Cull running the defense and the penalty kill. So Yo just kind of feels like he's going to do a little bit of everything and kind of just be, like I said, an assistant coach uh, in the very general sense of that role. Uh, and I think, honestly, like I, I think the coaching staff feels like it's put together pretty good. I, I know that... A lot of it's going to run through just the smarts of Bruce Boudreaux being at the top, uh, but I like the like, I like the guys that are surrounding him a little bit. I, it's just it's you're going to have to see, like there is going to be some pressure, and I think when you look at this coaching staff, the most pressure that I see is on the defense, uh, and it's going to be on Trent Call. Like, what is Trent Call going to do now that he doesn't have AHL players? Now he's dealing with Tyler Myers and Oliver Ekman Larson and Quinn Hughes. Like, what is he going to do with those type of players? Like, how? good of a coach really is Trent Cull. I don't think we really know because it's not like there was a ton given to him in the AHL role that he was with, but there's a lot of pressure on him. I think now there's a lot more pressure than he's ever had probably in his coaching career. Now that he's the assistant coach and running a defense on, on a team that's probably weakest point is their defense core. And you're putting a guy who 
already doesn't have a lot of the love from the fan base at this point, I'd have to say. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Trent Cole to step up into this role and do a really good job. That's really interesting that you point out that he's the defensive coach because something that was pointed out to me by Cody Sievertson, who's now at Canucks Army, uh, you know, similar to you, watches all the AHL games, all that sort of stuff. One thing he pointed out to me was that Call's been open to the idea of running five guys on a power play unit, and Jason King was the guy that kind of authored that, but Trent Call was okay with it. He's the head coach, right? And it was mostly just the fact that Call actually has gotten the most out of players offensively at multiple points, right? And maybe he hasn't been the best at developing anybody. Like, it is a problem how many players have fizzled out under Trent Call in Utica, in Abbotsford. It's a problem. But I almost wonder if he's better suited as an assistant coach. But the reason I think that is mostly because of his offensive abilities, right? Like, his, his abilities to get guys to to score, to have that offensive output. And I almost wonder if him on defense is almost a miscast of him again, but this time as an NHL assistant coach. Yeah, and I mean, he was a defenseman, so it feels like he should be a defenseman coach, you know, when you kind of look at it. it. But you're right, like, if you want to look at the positives from Trent Cole, like, look at what he did for players like Sheldon Rempel, Sheldon Dries, um, even John Stevens, and, like, the players that were actually performing at such a high level in the AHL that never did that before this season or these past seasons, or even what he did with high-talented players at the AHL level, he got the best out of them. Like, he had a really good team uh, in Utica a couple years ago, and you're watching like Sven Berchi and Nikolai Goldobin and these guys play together, like he was really good at coaching those guys when he had good talent. So um, I think that I think the Canucks fan base kind of needs to do a little bit of a reset here on Trent Cole, but I think there still will be pressure. Like out of this coaching staff, the most pressure to me is on him um, because there's obviously we, we kind of know the reputation that Brad Shaw had about being a guy who was going to really help the defense core. And I think you could clearly see like, and I'm sure a lot of this work was Quinn Hughes and a lot of it, you know, was him just improving his own defensive game, but it looked like Quinn Hughes took big steps defensively. That second pairing of OEL and Tyler Myers took massive steps defensively, those two. Uh, and I think Brad Shaw probably was a big reason for that. So now you have a guy like Trent Cole stepping into this position. Uh, he's going to work with the defense core. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but you're right. Like, he did get a lot of the best out of the players that were highly talented AHL players. So um, we'll see what happens. I do like the Jeremy Colleton uh, addition to Abbotsford. I think uh, as a younger head coach getting that role, he could be uh, – it just seems like from looking at Rutherford and Alvin's previous organizations, like they like to have a coach in waiting uh, in the AHL, and I don't think that Trent Call was going to get the head coaching gig if it's something were to happen uh, with the Canucks and Bruce Boudreaux was out of town. Uh, I think Carlton would get that opportunity, or maybe Mike Yo gets that spot as well. So it'll be interesting to see. It feels like they have a couple of head coaches in waiting almost in the staff already. Yeah, it does. And just quickly before we go to break, I wanted to get in. Uh, Curtis Sanford, Tuesday morning, Maple Leafs GM Kyle Dubas announcing that Curtis Sanford has been hired as the NHL goaltending coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh, congrats to Curtis. I threw it out last week, I think, or maybe the last show we did before we went on vacation, that he was a name to keep an eye on. I had started to hear some rumblings through the goaltending community that uh, Sanford was starting to get a lot of attention for his work down in Abbotsford. Again, this is a guy who, um, you know, targeted and developed Spencer Martin into an NHL backup, right? Like, Spencer Martin was kind of toiling in the ECHL and the AHL, and Curtis Sanford took a look at him in Syracuse and said, 
this is a guy we want, informed Ryan Johnson that this is a guy they wanted. They went out and got him, uh, and then he turned him from a third-string goaltender to an NHL backup. That's that's no easy feat, and Curtis Sanford deserves a ton of credit for that. Uh, again, oftentimes thought of as Ian Clark's protege, but again, this is a guy who, um, you know, when goalies and, and players, but mostly goalies, would be having issues on or off the ice, that's a 42-year-old NHL goaltender in Curtis Sanford that you're able to bounce your feelings off of he's probably gone through something similar to what you're going through so he was a good sounding board I know the players really liked him I know the goaltenders absolutely loved him uh tough loss for the Canucks but congrats to Curtis Sanford on getting an NHL gig especially in a market like Toronto like that's where Sanford's from right is you know um gets to go back to Ontario it's a win-win uh for the Sanford family I'm super excited for Curtis but uh yeah tough loss for the Canucks nonetheless yeah it's a huge loss to see what he's done with the goaltenders and I think that um the expectation was that he was going to work well with you know Mikey DiPietro and Archer Seelaws moving forward here and I think uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts Claude's like how important do you think it is for really Ian Clark to find his next guy to be the AHL coach instead of just bringing in a goalie coach. Like to me, it needs to be Ian Clark's like next protege, right? It can't just be another goalie coach who seems to fit at the AHL level. It needs to be Ian Clark's guy. I feel like. Yeah, I think you're right. And the reason I say that is because anytime I talk to a goaltender in the Canucks system, and this goes all the way down to guys who are just picked, like even Koskenvo, whoever, the thing that they always tout about the goaltending department is the communication, right? You don't go to training camp, you don't go to development camp, and then learn stuff from Ian Clark, and then go home or go to the AHL, and Curtis Sanford's saying something different. No, it's the same thing with the same verbiage. Nothing really changes, and it makes it a lot easier for the goaltenders to stick to the plan that these guys have them on. Now, what I'm really curious about, Chris, is before, and I don't think a lot of people know this, Curtis Sanford wasn't technically a full-time employee with the Canucks. He was a goaltending consultant with a focus on Abbotsford. He really wasn't involved the way people think he is, but this past season, Abbotsford's Abbotsford's first season, Curtis Sanford was down there full-time. Like he was the full-time goaltending coach in Abbotsford. Like brought his wife and kids out here. They lived out in Abbotsford. This was a full-time gig for Curtis and I'm really curious, Chris, because there's all this talk of the organization now spending money and and they're going all in on the hockey ops department. I fully expect they'll sign someone new to replace Curtis, but it's also a bit of a litmus test because I don't know if two years ago, and again, the only reason I'm saying this is because A, they didn't have a goaltending coach and B, they were kind of penny pinching up top. I almost wondered if... Are they going to replace Curtis Sanford? Like, that thought crossed my mind, but the more I think of it and the more we've seen with Jim Rutherford seeming to run the show and saying, like, he doesn't really talk to Aquilini much and they go for lunch every two weeks. You compare that to the last regime, how much more involved Aquilini and the ownership group was, you look at the difference and I just think this is Jim Rutherford's call to make at this point and obviously he doesn't have to manage up too much at this point from what we've heard from him, so you think this is going to be Rutherford's call, and if it's Rutherford, an ex-goaltender's call, you have to assume they're going to bring in someone new. I I wouldn't be surprised to see if it was, like, because I I truly believe it's going to just be, like, an absolute Ian Clark guy. 
Like, it wouldn't surprise me to see someone out of Sweden or Finland. Like, somebody that, you know, has completely bought in to the Ian Clark philosophy and is just, like, obsessed with the way that he grew the butterfly over there in Europe and just kind of, like, became one of the students of him. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see a Swedish or Finland goalie coach that Ian Clark really likes be the guy that he wants to use now in Avatar because the way that I look at it is exactly that. It's, like, it's not about who Patrick Alvin wants running that goaltending group out there in the HL. It's about who Ian Clark wants to be helping deliver his message, you know, from the top down as the goalie department in this organization, instead of just a coach in the AHL. Like that's not what it's all about. It's about how to have constant contact from the development or from the development for these goaltenders from the Vancouver Canucks goalie department, which is run by Ian Clark. Like to me, it's, it's a different feeling here in Vancouver with how this goaltending department is run compared to other NHL teams. It just feels like, especially with a guy like Ian Clark, who's locked in long-term and is making all the decisions for what these goaltenders are going to be going through. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought it up. Like, Ian Clark's here to stay, right? So, uh, yeah. you know, you've got this goaltending stable. Uh, we'll get into it on the other side because I do have a few things on the draft uh, that I want to touch okay, on. Okay, let's... Uh, Let's quickly just, like, because I, I don't think there's actually that much. Before we get to break, like, I don't think there's much to actually get into with the Brock Besser deal. So let's just do it quickly. Like, it's three years, 6.65. I think that's a good contract. And I think that's a contract that kind of just meets in the middle. Like, this is now it's time for Brock Besser to, to you know, step up and, and look like the player that I think he wants to become and really showed in his early parts of his career where hopefully, like, it's so tough to see what he's gone through. And it's weird to say that he just needs to put it behind him, but you could hear the quotes that he gave to Ian McIntyre. Like, you know, I think he even mentioned something about like when he was injured, it was nice to almost just take a break, right? And go back and look at certain things of his family. And I think he he sounds damn motivated to go out there and be the hockey player that he wants to become in the NHL. And I can't imagine what he was going through last year. You know, even, you know, personally losing a parent in the last year, like what what, what I went through was horrible. Uh, and I I can just imagine he was probably even closer than than I was with my stepmom than what he, he was with his dad from just every reaction and way that we've heard him talk about it. Um, it, it. You know, I think time does actually really heal. I've learned that personally. I think that's something that's going to really help Brock moving forward. Uh, I can only hope that he's had such a great support system around him over this time here. But, like, moving forward now, like, this, this is good. This is a spot where he doesn't have to worry about his future with his contract. He wants to be in Vancouver. He got the deal for three years. I don't call this a bridge deal because this is a deal that's going to take him into free agency. Um, this is a point where now it's like, yeah, this is kind of just like a, a midterm deal for a player who now we kind of have seen him earn enough to make 6.65. And you hope that at the end of this contract, he's a player who wants to make $8 million and is worth $8 million. Like, to me, now Brock Bester needs to go out there and, and be the Brock Bester that we all want him to be and the player that he wants to become and be a 30-goal scorer consistently now. You mentioned putting it past him, and I know that sounds harsh, but when you li- listen to what Brock said to Sportsnet and McIntyre, it was just that, right? Like, he, he really is excited for next season. This was a compromise deal, like... You know, obviously the the two sides probably wanted different things, but they really did compromise just to get this done. Like they just wanted to be able to be ready for next season and see the real Brock Besser. And the thing that was most interesting about that story, and it's a good story, you should read it by uh, iMac there. The most interesting thing was that Brock said that you could follow along and see his mental state based on his score sheets for the Canucks games, right? 
before Christmas break, he was on a bit of a tear. I think six goals in five games when Bruce took over, something like that. Then he goes home and sees that his dad can no longer walk. Comes back, is just a mess after that, and is having a horrible time. Can't really get his footing under him. Uh, called his injury that he got in April a relief, which you'll never hear a hockey player say, but you will in this instance. Called it a relief, comes back from that injury after having some time to regroup mentally, finishes the season super strong. It's it's a bounce back season for Brock Besser next year, is it not? Like the, the the way I'm looking at this, especially after hearing him say that, I'm basically convinced that Brock's gonna put up at least thirty next year. Yeah, I I, I have to think that you know this is such a clear mind for him, and just I don't know, I don't I don't want to talk about like the personal situation so much, but like I know that Quads, you and I have both like dealt with people who've gone through dementia, and like it, it's it's almost harder when you're going through it. Right. Then like, I know that like when my, when my grandpa passed from it, it was still very hard, but like going to see him was even harder. And I think that was, that was a really tough part. So I, yeah, we hope all the best for Brock uh, in that point. I don't want to get into that too much. Just, you know, as a hockey podcast, we'll try and keep it on that point of view, but like, you're, you're right. Like it, this sets everything up for him to have a massive bounce back as a hockey player, uh, and as a player who, you know, as a player in person who's probably grown a lot, like, man, it's crazy to think how much, like, Brock has gone through uh, in his young life. Like, even the stuff of going up to the draft with his best friend and everything, like, ugh, I just, I just, yeah, you hope the best for this guy. You love that he loves Vancouver. He wants to be a Vancouver Canuck. You could, you know, see the excitement in his posts about it. We, I can't wait to talk to him at training camp and, you know, just especially after what we dealt with in that final media availability, like, uh, yeah, can't wait to see him uh, at training camp this year and just see what he's able to do with a clear mind and really focused on what he probably loves to do the most is just go out there, play hockey, and score goals. So um, expecting a huge bounce back from here, bounce back year from him. Um, and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he fits on the power play unit with you know what happens with JT Miller moving forward here, what happens with Kuzmenko. Like, where does Besser kind of fit in this group? I, I you know, I'm very excited to to just get back to – you know, covering Brock Besser as he loves to play hockey and just see him in a good mood because, like, you know this. He's one of the best guys to, you know, joke around with. I know he was, like, your I think your best response for the wheels and doors answer, right? <laughs> like, was there anybody better for that? Like, when Brock is happy and good, like, he's, he's an awesome dude. And I just think that he's gone through so much. You hope that this can be, you know, hopefully have some better years for him moving forward personally here. Just, you know, the guy needs – yeah, he deserves it. He's just a great guy, and I think he deserves it. And as a hockey player, hopefully – um, there's some certainty now with a three-year contract and not as much, uh, trade conversations around his name at all times. And, uh, he knows he's going to be a Vancouver Canuck for the next few years here. And I guess quickly mention as well. Um, I believe it's a, a no, a modified no trade in the final year of his contract as well. So, uh, big expectations. I think we all have for Brock Vester moving forward here. And I bet he's the one who's probably setting the highest expectations for himself. Yeah, exactly. And we're, you know, we're super excited to see what Brock can do moving forward. And the one thing I wanted to do before we close out and go to break here, Chris, is Alvin commented on Brock's situation and basically said, like, you know, we know what he's going through and we do take it into consideration when we evaluate his performance. And that was interesting. It was good to hear. But it got me thinking, like, how do you quantify grief? Like, that was the question I kept asking myself is, like, okay, if Brock's not going through anything, how many more goals is he good for? You know what I mean? And, like, it's just a question that I kept asking to myself and then seeing that thing that he said about following along with 
the stat sheets about his mental state. Just crazy. Unbelievable to see that it affected him that badly. And, like, again, that's not... I I don't mean that in a way like, oh, it shouldn't have affected him. I just mean, like, it's wild that you can literally follow along and see that he performed so much better when he was just in a better headspace. Uh, and uh, the stats really do back that up. That's just, it's just wild to me. And I wanted to point it out. No, like absolutely to, to think of what he's probably gone through with his family there. It's been incredibly tough, but uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, look for a brighter side uh, from Barack here moving forward. And I hope all the best for him and his family. I hope they've been able to grieve together and, you know, have, have a hope, Hopefully have just a summer, you know, to be a family and just be a, that, that's basically it. Just like be a family, you know, and that's kind of what family's all about. It's just like being there for each other uh, in these hard moments. And I'm sure they've had a lot of that this summer. So um, all the best and can't wait to see uh, Brock Besser back on the ice next year with the Canucks. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Run a little late here. We'll cut to break on the other side. We'll get to our Atlas goods poll question and then we'll break down the draft. Chris, you've been waiting all year for this. It is time for the Canucks conversation draft primer. So keep it locked. Keep it loaded on Canucks conversation. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, and a massive thank you to all of our sponsors of the Canucks Conversation Podcast. It's now time for our Atlas Goods poll question. Our episode 276 poll question brought to you by Atlas Goods. Go to atlasgds.com. Use promo code CC15 for 15% off your first order of pop rinds. These are the best fresh pork rinds straight out of your microwave or air fryer. Our poll question today, which which would you want to use in the 2022 NHL entry draft. The 15th overall pick, 26th, 33rd, 162nd overall picks, 22nd and 42nd overall picks. And as always, I'm angry. Chris, so far leading the vote with 34% is 26th, 33rd, 162nd picks. Can I get your thoughts on this? Yeah, first of all, I obviously did this poll question. And you could tell because of look at how close all three of them are and the angry folks they're always there the eight percent you take that right out of there 
But look at that. The lowest one, 28. The highest one, 34. Good options. And these, these options that I gave out were basically... Like, the Canucks can make their selection at 15th overall. Um, but they do have some other options here in this, like, with the 15th overall pick. They have some options, right? The the second option there, the 26th, the 33rd, and the 162nd pick, that would be, like, a trade-down option with the Montreal Canadiens who, you know, have the, the number one pick in the second round. So it's kind of like, yeah, they're trading, you know, trading down to 26 is a pretty big drop, but you're getting the first pick of the second round. That's basically a first-round pick. Um, the third option there, trading for the 22nd and 42nd picks. Uh, that would be trading down with Anaheim, another option that I think you might want to look at. But Montreal is going to be really interesting, man. Like, they obviously have the first overall pick in the draft. I think they want to make a big show of it. Uh, I could, you know, and people that I've talked to have said that, like, the Montreal Canadiens do want this to be, you know, they want this to be their day, especially day one of the draft where they have the first overall pick. So it wouldn't shock me to see them try and move that 26th pick up. And the Canucks are sitting there at 15th for an option for trading down. But I don't know. Some of the stuff that I've seen lately, it's like, I don't know if trading down is is really the way the Canucks want to go. I think they're really looking for a quality prospect here at 15th overall. And there seems to be a lot of options that they like. So though people seem to believe that, you know, adding three picks is great, right? Like you still get a 26 overall. 33rd's a really good pick. You're going to get probably a defenseman that you like there. And then you have another late round swing to take uh, with the 162nd pick overall. I That's... Not my favorite, actually. My favorite would be trading down with Anaheim uh, and getting that 22nd pick and the 42nd pick because you're getting a high second-round pick at that point. You're getting uh, a mid-to-late first-round pick there with the 22nd. I-, I think you're getting one of like a Pickering or Big Shell if you're going with the 22nd pick overall. And then 42nd, you can really go with like another defenseman that you like, and I love that. If the Canucks were to come out of this with you know two defensemen and they were top 50 picks... That would be a huge boost to the prospect pool. Okay. I went with 26, 33rd, and 162. And my philosophy on it, Chris, is not only are you picking at the top of the second round, which is basically a late first-round pick, it's just more picks. Like, if there's anything this team needs, it's more picks. Like, you need more prospects. You need to increase your probabilities of actually landing a player. And look at how many players you see coming out of the second, third round, even fourth sometimes, that... Nobody really thinks of, but a smart scouting staff got it. Look, if the Canucks beefed up their scouting staff the way they want us to think they have, then give give them more picks. Like, give yourselves more at-bats. Give yourself the chance to find that diamond in the rough, right? Like, you know, maybe pick 162 as a goaltender that Ian Clark likes. And again, I'm going to get into that because I've got a few names that I wanted to say um, in this, but it's draft primer time, Chris. Uh, before we do that, remember... Promo code CC15 at atlasgds.com. Locally owned company. Uh, go get yourself some pop rinds, folks. Chris, it's time. It's time for you to give us the draft primer. I'll ask you again, Chris, the question on everybody's mind. Draft two days away. We're recording this on Tuesday. We'll have it on Tuesday. Who are the Canucks selecting at 15th overall if they should select there? All right, so here's the interesting thing, and this name has come up so often that like to me it almost feels like a bluff in a poker game right like this name has been out there and like everyone that I've talked to this name comes up as who the Canucks would take at 15 if he's there uh Liam Oglin um who's out of Sweden who scored a ton of goals we just did a a breakdown of him on Canucks army if you want to go check it out but it to me it's like 
his name shouldn't be out there that that much. Like that you hear it every single time someone talks about who the Canucks should get at 15th. His name comes up. Like it to me like it feels like that's who the Canucks might really like. That might be the truth, but I don't know. I'm, I, it's just like you're hearing his name so often that it seems to me like that might not be the guy that they're going for. Like I I I'm curious if they want to go in like like I don't think Marco Casper is going to be there. And we loved Marco Casper when he came on the show. We love him as a prospect. There's a reason why he's starting to show up in people's like final rankings in the top 10. He's an excellent uh, excellent prospect coming out of this draft. He plays wing. I don't think he's there at 15. I'd love it if he was. That would be an easy pick for the Canucks at 15. But I look more towards like a couple of defensemen out of the OHL. Uh, they have Pavel Mitnikov, uh, who's six foot one. He's probably not going to be there for the Canucks at 15, but I think he's a really good option if he is there. Uh, the more likely option of a player that could be there for the Canucks and could be a good selection for them is Denton Matichuk. Uh, Matty Chuck, uh, who is the cousin of uh, our boy over there. Uh, who, why can't I say? Owen Pickering, um, our boy, who might be another option at 15 if the Canucks want to take a big swing. Um, but Matty Chuck is, I mean, he's, he's a really good puck mover. And I think if you're looking for just like high floor, high ceiling, he's a guy who is a defenseman. You really need, no matter, I know that he's not right-handed and big and strong, but he's going to be an NHL defenseman. And it's not going to be long before he's playing in the NHL. Uh, and he could be a real good option for the Canucks to just kind of add to their prospect pool, and maybe that gives you an option to potentially move him down the road or move some other place to the right side. But I think just pure good defenseman, if you want to add that at 15, Machachuk makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, yeah, like, I, I don't, like, there's still a lot of players who could slide in this draft. Like, could Brad Lambert really be an option for them? Could Danila Yurov, like, what's the Russia factor going to be for him? He feels like a top 10 talent to me, but I don't know if he's going to end up... Um, like, I don't think at 15, it might be still too early to go and get him. Kevin Kor- Korchinski uh, out of Seattle there. He had a good playoff run as well. Could keep an eye on him. I'm not I'm not as high on him as a lot of people are. Um, and then, like, I, I don't know. Jonathan Lekaramaki is probably going to be gone. So, yeah, like, to me, if you're asking who they're going to draft, I think it's going to be one of uh, Mitnikov, Casper. I don't think he's there. Um Ugrin could be the guy like maybe maybe you're actually telling us that like you know the the stuff that we're hearing here might actually be true and he might be the player the Canucks really do like obviously put up a ton of points in the junior Swedish league so feels like an option but if if some of their players that they really don't like are there like trading down still feels like a good pick for them like Yuri Kulik is a guy that I like late Owen Pickering's a guy that I like late uh, Jagger Furcus has the best shot in the draft and you know we talked uh, on the last show with Chris Peters about him he really likes him there's a lot that can happen I think and I don't really feel confident saying who the Canucks are going to take at 15 before seeing what happens at the first 14 picks in front of it it's interesting it's interesting because everybody wants to know it and it feels like we can't actually get an answer yeah no totally and I think that it's going to really depend on what happens with the first 14 and if there's a big name for the Canucks at 15, that's going to be really interesting where it's like teams want to trade up to get this player. You know, teams would want to trade up to get Marco Casper. Teams would want to trade up to get Jonathan Lekaramaki. Teams might want to trade up and get Brad Lambert. So if one of those three is there, the Canucks need to make a decision on if they really like that talent or if they really like the return that they can get in a trade down option. So I think all options are open for the Canucks right now still. I want to talk about the goaltenders, Chris. It comes as no surprise to anybody, but I've been hinting at it for a while that I would do my research on the 
the goalies that I like in this draft and the goalies in the late rounds that I think the Canucks might take a swing on if they take a goalie, which I suspect they will. Uh, the names I have, Chris, are Nicholas Kako and Carlos Mezargs. Now, Kako's a Finnish goaltender. Um, you know, didn't put up stellar numbers or anything like that, but moves really well. Uh, very similar goaltender to Aku Koskenvo, who, you know, obviously I've talked to Ian Clark about a ton. Um, and, you know, really fits that mold of one of these really raw, high upside goaltenders who maybe didn't get the results where they were playing. And that's why they've fallen on draft boards, but moves really well and is someone that is moldable, right? Like you can coach this player uh, into becoming the next Archer Seelovs. I know Seelovs still has a lot to, pr- lot to prove, but y- there's no denying how much his stock has risen since they drafted him uh, in the sixth round back in 2019. So Nicholas Kako is my one goaltender, finished goaltender, moves really well, seals off the bottom of the net well, fits that Ian Clark mold of prospect, uh, and Carlos Mezarks is a Russian goaltender, um, I believe Russian, plays in the MHL. Where is he from, Chris? You're shaking your head at I, me. Yeah, I think he's Austrian. Even better. But plays in the uh, MHL. You're right with that. Give me Latvia, Austria, or Russia, or Finland. That's a goaltender that Ian Clark is interested in. Yeah, I just uh, I just got followed on Twitter, by the way, from uh, one of your goalie guys there. How does that make you feel, Quads? Which goalie guy? What are you follow. talking about? What's uh, your Carlos Mezgards or Mezsargs? <laughs> Mezsargs. He yeah, followed you? Just follow just followed me on Twitter, yeah. Well, he's off my draft board now. <laughs> I like you know, I like him. I, I like the length. He's a six foot two goalie that you kind of mentioned that's in the uh the range there, but he moved well. He's a player I've watched a little bit of goaltenders. Are, uh, where do you think though, uh the two goalies that you mentioned there, like where is a good spot for the Canucks to go after one of these guys? Cause um just looking at the way that they've had a target on goaltenders in the past, uh, I forget the Finnish goaltender, like Blomquist, the guy that uh, they liked a couple years ago, he ends up going in, what, the second round, I believe? So, like, yeah. are these later goaltenders here? Are these fifth, sixth, seventh round guys? So, the interesting thing about Blomquist is he was supposed to be a later guy. Like, Blomquist wasn't expected to go until the third round, but then it got out that Ian liked that goalie, and the Penguins kind of pounced on it because they said, well... If they like him, he must be a good good pick. So they kind of went with it after it got leaked that Ian and the Canucks really liked Blumquist. The Penguins decided they were going to use a second on him. Now, that's why it's been a lot more tight-lipped. Uh, like, you're not going to see reporters or anybody throwing out a name being like, I'm hearing the Canucks like this guy. You're not going to see that. You're just going to see what I've done the past two years. Like, you remember, I... I liked Blomquist and that wasn't because I was told by anybody it was just I like this goaltender I think he fits well I did the same thing with Koskenvo not to toot my own horn too much here but that's what this is this is just me looking at the goaltenders and saying I like this guy and this guy I think the Canucks should draft him I think the Canucks will like him as well that's what I'm saying here I'm not getting this from anybody and you're not going to hear that from the more traditional reporters who maybe aren't watching the goaltenders you're not going to see I'm hearing they like this guy this year because the Canucks are a lot more tight-lipped on that um you're not going to be hearing about they like this guy they like that guy it's just I like this guy because of what he brings uh again where I think these guys are going to go uh, I think both of them are beyond the third round. I think you're looking at the fourth round for these guys, uh, fourth and beyond, and I think that's kind of the sweet spot if you're the Canucks when you're looking at replenishing your prospect pool. 
and you want to also build that goaltending stable out, especially if you're thinking about shipping out a Mikey DiPietro, taking one of these goaltenders in, you know, four, five, six, seven, uh, in those rounds, that's the move if you're the Canucks, I think. Right, and, you know, I believe that Ian Clark has said this, like, you want to take a goalie two out of three years. Uh, They didn't take one in 2020. They did take one last year, obviously, your boy Kuskenvo. But, yeah, we'll see what happens if they end up going with one this year as well. I... Yeah, I find it interesting. It's funny because, like, you mentioned it. It's, like, it's kind of, like, I don't want to say it's easy, but, like, for me, like, even kind of mentioning some goalies to you that I've noticed just from watching players, like, it's easy, like, because Ian Clark has a type, right? Like, he has oh, yeah. uh Oh, yeah. He, like, absolutely has a type uh, of 18-year-old goaltenders that he likes. They got to be long and lanky, but not taller than 6'4", right? That's kind of the, the type that we're looking at here. Uh, that's the type. It's safe usually, but you you could take a six five guy like Koskenvo is six five, right? Okay. So so sometimes sometimes so there's like the five schools of thought or whatever, right? And you know, uh, say a goaltender's really tall, but he has really good length and he's really flexible. There's no problem drafting that guy, but a lot of times when a guy's that tall, he doesn't have that same flexibility in the hips and the ability to seal off the bottom of the net with ease. And a lot of times you're seeing a wide stance because they're so tall and when they play junior and youth hockey, they're able to seal off the bot- or the top of the net even if they're crouched super low and they'll be fine. So you, you, you'll, you'll see different things that you have to kind of keep an eye out for. But yes, Ian Clark does have a type. Let me, uh, I know this isn't something we have in the outline or anything, but what are the odds that Mike DiPietro is with the Canucks when we get to training camp? I would say 30%. And 30%. Chris, I'm going to I'm going to go even further and say that it's no mistake that it came out that the Montreal Canadiens really like Mikey DiPietro. Um I would not be surprised. I know we just talked about Montreal being a team that could be active at the draft and on the draft floor. I would not be surprised to see Mikey DiPietro moved uh, at the draft to Montreal. What do we think about that? That's really interesting to me because Montreal has a lot of picks. Um, a lot of picks going into this draft, right? Like, uh, we look at Montreal just in this specific draft. They obviously have some more even in, in later years, but they have two second-round picks this year, three third-round picks this year, three fourth-round picks this year, and then they have the two first-round picks. Obviously, they're not moving the first overall, but is there like that would be a really interesting package to think about if the Canucks move 15 and Mikey DiPietro, how much can they get back on top of like the 26 overall needs to be involved in that trade, obviously. 33rd likely needs to be involved as well. But like, can you get another second? Like that's the type of value that you might be able to get at this situation or even another third and then like a four, like there, this could be a big deal and it could be boosted if you put Mikey in that trade in a trade down move with the Montreal Canadiens. That's what I'm saying, right? Is if you're if you're moving the 15th overall pick and Montreal wants it, or um, you know, let's say you don't move that pick. Like, let's say, does Montreal have interest in Connor Garland? Would they bite on a Connor Garland, Mikey DiPietro package? Right? Um, I know Josh Anderson's name has been floated out there a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, Jeff Merrick, I believe, was the one that reported that the Canucks are looking at a Miller light. They're looking for a player like JT Miller who can score and is hard to play against. Is Josh Anderson that player? And again, I'm not reporting anything. I'm just speculating a bit here and trying to put the pieces together of the puzzle that have been laid out in front of us. But 
is Josh Anderson that guy? Is Josh Anderson a guy the Canucks view as saying, hmm, we can move out JT Miller and Connor Garland and put this guy in our middle six. Maybe we take a step back, but we've just re-signed Brock. We're going to get a better version of Brock. We're, we have certainty with uh, Andre Kuzmenko on our team now. Do we feel like we can make this move, get a bunch of picks back in return? Does Montreal bite on something like that? And then all of a sudden you have two first-round picks and all of a sudden all those other picks that we mentioned as well. Does Connor Garland get that deal done? It, it, it's a really interesting question, Chris, because I think Montreal is emerging as as a more likely trade partner with the Canucks and not necessarily for JT Miller. Could be interesting. I, and obviously we kind of mentioned it. It feels like in the people that we've talked to, Montreal wants to make a splash uh, as they're hosting the draft here. And this is a time where they can make a splash. They have all the picks to do it. Um, they obviously are going to make the first overall pick. I don't see that being in play, um, but it could be a big day for the Montreal Canadiens. And yeah, if there's interest in Mike DiPietro, that could be an interesting. It could be, you know, we didn't even really talk about it because I feel like the JT Miller thing has been exhausted enough on this show. And I think if anything happens, we'll be emergency potting, I'm assuming. Uh, even if I have to run from the draft and, you know, I don't know, do a quick call and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. But um could be a very busy day uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. I expect it to be a very busy day, honestly. I'll I'll quickly, just before we wrap up here, I'll just give some late round options because, like, you know, even last year in the draft, I feel like we we nailed quite a few that the Canucks ended up drafting uh, at Canucks Army. And this year we've done a bunch where um, I'll start with just some of the Finnish players that I like. Uh, defenseman Elmeri Laxo. Uh, great skater, should be available in the third to fifth round, maybe like if you're seeing him in the fourth, he's a great player. You want to take a risk on there. Still going to be really interested to see what the Canucks do with Russians in this draft and how many of these Russians end up dropping like crazy. Uh, and if the Canucks want to kind of take that risk and go that direction for some high rewards. Uh, another finished prospect that, uh, that I like is Jonas Lohisalo. Uh, very strong and consistent shot. Uh, really like him. Like I think he was one of the best scoring draft eligible players in the junior finish leagues. Um, Miko Matika uh, is a monster of a winger who comes, uh, who's coming over to the NCAA this year. Actually, he'll be, he plays like a really strong power forward game in Finland and he'll be with um, Denver next year in the NCAA. So that's one to keep an eye on. Uh, I know you had a question about this in the mailbag this week about Elias Pettersson. Uh, very good defensive defenseman, right shot. If you want to take a, take a swing on this guy, it's not only because of the name for this player though. You know, he's actually a guy that I, I like defensively. Uh, and then William Proust, uh, six foot three winger out of the Alsvenskin, who had a big year as an 18-year-old and uh, maybe worth like a fifth to seventh round pick. Another option there for the Canucks to go uh, if they want to go in that direction. But there's there's a lot of players that we've kind of identified and we've talked about a lot at, at Canucks Army and here on the podcast. It's just going to be fun to, uh, you know, kind of just wait and see like what, cards were dealt uh now to dive into prospects i know i can't wait for it like you know round one's gonna be a lot of fun i think for every canucks fan but man i'm looking forward to just like all the names that they add um in, in round two just so like players that i can dive into see if there's players that we've seen before or if we're just having to learn about all these new prospects coming to the canucks because that's uh that's my thing man i like those uh late round picks and seeing how exciting they play and why they were drafted uh in the draft anyways yeah and also, fun little tidbit before we close out here. You said, like you said, Elias Pettersson obviously is draft eligible. Uh, Jack Hughes, also available. And fun fact, son of uh, Montreal Canadiens GM Kent Hughes, who assured everybody that he will not be selecting his son first <laughs> overall. All right. No, but they have that 33rd pick, and it makes a lot of sense. We we spoke with Aiden McDonough, who's like just saying that people are sleeping 
on uh, on Jack Hughes quite a bit because he played with him at Northeastern last year, obviously. Yeah, people are sleeping on Jack Hughes again. So we'll close it out there. Uh, for my co-host, Chris Faber, who is in Montreal, my name is David Quadrelli. We'll talk to you after the draft, folks. Canucks are going to have a busy day, busy day ahead of them. So are we. We're going to have a lot of stuff for you. Unless that JT Miller deal finally comes down. We didn't even talk about it at all on this podcast, but like, we've done it. I enough. don't know, man. I think we've done, yeah, we've talked about it enough, but like, this is the time now. Uh, you know, we're on high alert. You're at home. I'm in Montreal. I can be back at the hotel in uh, 20 minutes and we'll be banging out a podcast here if anything happens because, yeah, it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now, right? In the next, uh, basically, next few days here. Yeah, absolutely. So we're on high alert, as should you, the listener. All right, to you, the listener, my name is Eva Jelly. For my co-host, Chris Faber, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 